We have all had times in our lives when we have felt that we were doing something very significant, and then we've got pulled away to something else. Um, Maybe we felt called to do something else, but maybe it was just the inconvenience of something more urgent that pulls us away. Perhaps we have been doing something and we feel we're making a lot of progress on it, and then all of a sudden we're interrupted by a rabbit trail. If you own a house, you know this to be true, that there are always things that pull you away from something that you're trying to do. But rarely do we understand that in life, some of these interruptions are intentional. They come our way to put us on a different path, and rarely do we understand that every moment counts. That's my message for us today. Every moment counts. So when we look back and we have the privilege of 2020 hindsight, we see, oh, that interruption was actually an intervention. That that interruption actually provided an opportunity. That interruption actually had some purpose to it. Now, we all know that every moment counts when it comes to an emergency, When we think of a fireman or a medical professional, a nurse or doctor might say a minute later and the victim of a heart attack could have possibly lost their life. Or a fireman might say a few minutes earlier could mean the saving of someone rather than the loss of someone in a burning structure. So moments are a part of life and in a very real way, We only can live one moment at a time. The only moments that still await us are the ones that are right there in front of us. I think of the writer of Ecclesiastes who talks about life being vaporous. Vaporous, vaporous, all is vaporous. In other words, we live this moment and then it's gone. We are left with a memory, obviously, but the moment itself is gone. It's sort of like a breath on a cold winter's morning. It's there, and then it evaporates. Well, today, in our selection of Scripture, we're told about Philip, and he has this moment in ministry that makes all the difference in the world. And we really won't see the closing of the loop on that until next week when we talk a little bit about this individual that he talks to and the impact that this person has upon an entire continent. Philip is doing some tremendous ministry in Samaria. That area of half-Jewish, half-Gentile, crossbreed population And you might say these are his glory days, as Bruce Springsteen sings. There's miracles that are going on. There's significant things that are happening. And last week we talked about an individual by the name of Simon the Magician, or some call him Simon the Sorcerer, that so was taken by Philip that he began to follow him around. And Philip was almost kind of like a brand ambassador for God's work in the world. And Simon wished he had that power, even though it was for selfish purposes. So some very significant things are happening in the ministry of Philip. And then the Holy Spirit comes along and taps Philip on the shoulder and says, I want you to go south, back through the territory where persecution broke out. I want you to go south to a wilderness road. 
I'm sure Philip would be scratching his head and asking the question, what is awaiting me there? Why would the Holy Spirit prompt me? Now, I don't know if the Holy Spirit told him in some type of an audible voice or if the Holy Spirit tapped upon his soul and he had this inner prompting uh, that he decides to head back south of Jerusalem and he meets up with a man there that is going to be very significant in God's work on the continent of Africa. So here's what we've been saying, a day in the life of Philip. We've said so far, everything is spiritual, every person matters, and today, every moment counts. So have you ever thought about the moments in front of you? The clock is always ticking, isn't it? We can't recapture those minutes that have gone by. But every moment, whether it's for someone else or for ourselves, plays a significant role in who we are. So I want to break this passage down into three sections. First, the calling of Philip, and then the conversation that he has with a man that is called the Ethiopian eunuch, and then the conversion of this Ethiopian eunuch that becomes instrumental later in God's working. So let's talk about the calling of Philip for a moment. So he has this prompting, and it's interesting that the angel of the Lord says to him, get up and go to the south. So this calling is an invitation. I'm not so sure this is being forced upon Philip, you go or else. You know, we have those type of commands that we give our kids sometimes. You do this or there's this consequence. But there is this invitation. And this invitation is to cooperate with what God is doing. And that invitation, that calling is held out to us all the time as well. When we see God doing certain things around us or through us, that invitation is to take the next moment and to make the best of it, to give it our very best. Now sometimes though, the straightest line between point A and point B is not always the route that God chooses for us. We like to go from point A to point B. It's the quickest way to get there. But when God charts a course, many times he changes our direction multiple times. Now, this can cause some fear inside of us. Uh, I don't know if it caused some fear inside Philip, for God tells him to go back to that area where persecution broke out, I'm sure he had some fear in the back of his mind, and yet he had a love for God. And so this mixture between love and fear is something that we deal with in the course of our life all the time. And we go back and forth between these things all the time, don't we? That love for God. God, I want you to use me. Sort of like Isaiah said in chapter 6, here am I, Lord, send me. So in this situation, the angel of the Lord comes, and here Philip is going to await a new adventure. And yet, the angel of the Lord, at least initially, does not tell him what that adventure is going to be. Just go to the wilderness road. Go to the wilderness road. And it's there that we can be overpowered by fear, 
And uh, we might cower at some of the things that we feel a prompting to do. But I am reminded that in 1 John, this little epistle in the New Testament, it says, perfect love casts out fear. That God's unconditional abiding love for us gives to us the ability to move forward. Jesus tells his disciples often, fear not, fear not. So Philip is called to move on to the next moment. And that's what we are called to do. We might not know what tomorrow holds, but we are called to the next moment. And so he gets to the wilderness road, and we are told here that he meets up with an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, we introduced the Ethiopian eunuch last week a little bit. Let me tell you a little bit more about him today. This Ethiopian eunuch, according to some of the church fathers, and in particular a church father by the name of Arrhenius said that his name was Simeon Bacchus. We don't know if that's true or not, but uh, one of the church fathers named him Simeon Bacchus, and eventually this man becomes the evangelist that Philip was to Samaria. He becomes the evangelist that takes the gospel back to Ethiopia. He is born in the Nubian kingdom of Ethiopia, which is a part of northern Sudan in our current geography. But what's interesting is he is a servant of a female warrior queen. She is called Candace or Kandake. And I guess this region at one time uh, had female warriors that were leaders of their nation. This is a man that was a part of a dynastic name that had influence over that area. What we don't know is when he was born. However, we do know this. He is called uh, uh, Simeon the Niger, N-I-G-E-R, in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Putting all these pieces together, he is a black Gentile. He probably came from a lower class, and he was possibly part of a slave class. He was probably taken into the royal court at about age seven or eight. He was taken away from his family, and he was groomed to be a servant of the queen. He would never see his parents again, and he was an individual that was castrated. I mentioned that last week. And that was all a way of protecting uh, the harem, that protect the royal court, that would prevent a new dynastic line from developing. He was an individual that was wounded and he was uh, taken away into a royal palace. And yet, like Joseph of the Old Testament, he rises up in rank and he becomes a high-ranking court official. He becomes the secretary of the treasury, and he is a trusted individual, and yet here is a man who somehow learns of the God of Israel, becomes a God-fearer. He's non-Jew, he's black, he's non-binary sexual individual. He would be an individual even if he was interested in the God of the Israelites. He would not be allowed to worship in the temple precinct. 
Yet he traveled to Jerusalem. What we don't know is if he came to Jerusalem in kind of a diplomatic move. You know how sometimes people travel, ambassadors travel to another country and they participate in some of the rituals to develop bridges and that type of thing. We don't know if that's the purpose why he traveled to Jerusalem initially, but he was piqued in his interest. And even if it was a diplomatic trip, on his way home, somehow he got a part of a scroll of the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. That probably cost a pretty penny because everything in terms of scrolls was all hand copied. So it wouldn't be cheap. And yet he is taking back with him to Ethiopia this scroll. And as he's on his way back in this chariot, one of the things that he is going to do is read a part of this scroll. And what he reads is Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. And it says this, and we heard this in our scripture reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch probably did not know this, but... There are several songs in the book of Isaiah that are called the songs of the suffering servant. One of them is in chapter 53, and if you read the entirety of Isaiah chapter 53, it eerily sounds a lot like Jesus in some of the things that he describes that he goes through. So Philip, now on this wilderness road, has this uh, serendipitous moment where he meets the Ethiopian eunuch, and then he asks him a question. As he hears this Ethiopian eunuch reading this selection of Scripture out loud, he says, do you understand what you're reading? Now, that's a great question. Do you understand this poetry? Do you understand this song? And, uh, of course, the Ethiopian eunuch says, well, how can I unless someone helps me out? So he's not familiar with anything. Obviously, he's reading, and he's got a raw understanding of the Jewish faith. But he asks a very significant question. And the question that he asks very poignantly is this. Is this one talking about his own experience or the experience of someone else? That's a pretty insightful question, isn't it? Well, in the book of Isaiah, it's really telling the story of the whole nation of Israel. But chapter 53 goes beyond their history. And what Philip will say is, no, the one that fulfills this description, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Now think about this for a moment. This poetry describes someone who is very vulnerable, who has been denied justice, We know that this individual would be stripped naked and publicly humiliated. He would be despised and rejected and misunderstood in his motivation. He would be cut and he would be scarred. And somehow that powerfully resonates with the Ethiopian eunuch. And so Philip says, let me decipher it for you. It can describe all of our lives, or it can describe some of our lives, but ultimately it describes 
what Jesus has done for us. It's about Jesus and his willingness to suffer for the world. It is about the self-giving love of God who comes into the fear of this world and banishes that fear by overwhelming love, forgiveness, and so fear is vaporized because of this work. And so the Ethiopian eunuch, this secretary of the treasury, responds with great eagerness. They're traveling along and there's this little puddle of water. We're not talking about some luxurious river. There's probably just a muddy part of uh, the desert that has this water. And he says, look, there's water. Can I be baptized? Now what is it that the Ethiopian eunuch is asking? He's saying, what can prevent me from being baptized? What did he have in his mind? Maybe he thought about the Jewish ritual called mikvah, where it's a ritual cleansing so that people could go into the temple to worship. Is that what he is thinking? I don't know. But what we do know is this. Philip, even though he doesn't describe anything as to the explanation of what baptism is here, what he does do is he takes the Ethiopian eunuch down into the water immerses him into the water and allows him to come back up out of the water. Now baptism is this rite and ritual and religious symbolism that has been used for thousands and thousands of years. Philip gets into the water, takes him below the water and brings him back up to symbolize that he has been accepted to be a part of a community Here is this gender non-conforming person who's been excluded from worship in the Jewish community because of who he is, and he comes up out of the water. And as he comes up out of the water, it symbolizes this one who has been accepted into the family of God. There is this tension throughout the early church. What do you do when your religion isn't big enough for God? What do you do when your religion isn't big enough for God? You see, religion sometimes tends to compress things. But baptism opens this world up. Remember when Jesus is baptized, he hears this voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Follow him, listen to him. And all of a sudden, there's a reshaping of our understanding of what God is doing in the world. This Ethiopian eunuch goes below the water. He comes back up. He's no longer tied up in knots. He has been brought into a new world. For baptism becomes a portal out of this old, broken down world into God's new creation. It is a new identity. Now, there are different traditions that the church has practiced baptism down through hundreds and hundreds of years. And there's three of them that are primarily uh, performed in church services. You have infant baptism, you have sprinkling or pouring, and you have immersion. So over here is a baptismal tank that if you took all that away, you could fill a tank and a person would say, I am a follower of Jesus and uh, he is buried with Christ and is raised again to this new identity of one who is a follower. What is most important is not the mode of baptism, but the meaning of it. And the meaning of it is very, very powerful, that there's this new governance of God that's at play in the world. 
There is the story of one who has been lost but has now been found. It is the story of the washing away of sins. It's the story of a new identity. It's the story of a new allegiance. I'm no longer going to be just the dedicated secretary of the treasury to the queen of the Ethiopians. I am now a follower of Christ. There's this new identity. And so this individual now has this new message that he will carry home all the way back to Ethiopia and he's carrying with him dignity and truth and security because Philip made this moment count. That's my point. Philip had all kinds of tremendous things that were going on, right? In his ministry. Who would want to turn away from that? And yet he travels out to a wilderness road because he makes this moment count in the life of an individual that most people would not give much dignity too because of his standing in the world. But Philip does. Philip is no longer paralyzed by, by fear, but by faith. He's not consumed with distrust. He is empowered by self-giving love. And you know what that does? It converts this individual. This individual all of a sudden is given the next moment and the one after that and the one after that. He's given this future filled with hope and love. And a peace overcomes his soul. I wonder if we would have done what Philip did. Think about that for a moment. All the accolades of being the most famous person in town, right? Doing all these wondrous miracles. And yet at the same time, the Holy Spirit taps him on the shoulder and says, I want you to go to a wilderness road. And there you're going to meet up with an individual. But he makes that moment matter. And he doesn't wait. He doesn't wait until next month or next year. Until things die down in Samaria. No, he goes immediately. And so what we find taking place is something very significant. So every so often I like to promote a book. This is a great book by Brian McLaren. It's called A New Kind of Christianity. And in it, he does a great job summarizing for us this passage. And I'd like to read it, and then we will close off with a couple of things, our service this morning. So here's what he says. He says, so our castrated official has come to worship in Jerusalem, but he has undoubtedly been turned away. His racial and sexual identities have put him outside the worshiping community. In this light, do you feel the full pang of the question as he asks the chariot uh, as it passes some water? I have just been rejected and humiliated in Jerusalem, but you have told me of a man who, like me, has no physical descendants, a scar and wounded man who, like me, has been humiliated and rejected. Is there a place for me in his kingdom, even though I have, been uh, I have an unchangeable condition that was condemned forever by sacred Jewish scriptures? Philip doesn't speak, nor does he leave for Jerusalem to consult with the apostles there, nor does he convene a five-year committee to study the subject. Instead, he simply acts. The audacity of his action is seldom appreciated, I fear. As the horses are reined in and the chariot comes to a stop in a cloud of dust, he leads the eunuch down from the chariot and into the water, and there he baptizes him. 
the sign of the kingdom of God that began in Jesus. A place at the table for outcasts and outsiders continues in the era of the Acts of the Apostles. The poor are accepted and the sick. Samaritans are accepted and Gentiles, including Africans. And here, even the sexually other, those considered defective, who will never have a place in traditional religion or in the traditional culture based on the traditional family. The old other excluding sanctions against the uncircumcised, against the defective, even though they were claimed to be in effect throughout their generations, have been buried in baptism, left behind as a part of the old old order that is passing away. As Philip and the Ethiopian disciple climbed the stream bank, They represent a new humanity emerging from the water, dripping wet and full of joy, marked by a new and radical reconciliation in the kingdom of God. Isn't that a great paragraph? So today, I just want to emphasize to you that every moment counts. I came across this quote here by a lady, I don't know who she is, her name is Victoria Moran. She says, in this moment, there is plenty of time. In this moment, you are precisely as you should be. In this moment, there is infinite possibility. So my encouragement to all of us this morning is this. Would you stand with me, please? Live life like there is no tomorrow. Grasp each moment, make the most of what each day brings. And if your path is difficult, embrace it without worry, for the rocky, rough trail often brings more fulfillment. Let your face reflect happiness, trudge onward even on a steep path, let troublesome times vanish and improve your day. And as the hands on the clock keep ticking down, make each moment count. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. May he put forth to you a day, a moment, an hour of peace and joy and love. God bless you. Have a great day. And most of all, have a great week. We'll see you soon.